0: Look, guys, I'm going to level with you here. I was trying to find a joke for this week, and I just I found myself really scrounging because, I mean, at the end of the day, I guess nobody really likes jokes about, you know, descriptions or keywords or character encodings. You know, I, I've just come to the realization that people, they, they think they're just too meta. Sorry. Good morning, all you beautiful web professionals out there in podcast land. You're listening to Real Time Overview, and I'm your host, Michael Feenan. We're bringing you your weekly roundup of all the best web news from the web about the web, and we're going to get started this week by taking a look at the RSA Security Conference. For years now, both the effectiveness and usability of password-based login systems has been a sore point for application developers. Hell, recently, we've layered on the addition of two-factor authentication for more sensitive resources, which is more secure, but it really only compounds usability issues. I'm looking at you, PayPal. If you're a Google user, you might have noticed that they've started testing a new two-factor approach that uses your phone to verify you are, well, you. PC Magazine is reporting, however, that Google and Microsoft are pushing towards a future that might not strictly require passwords at all. Both of them were showing off different biometric approaches to security, one using facial recognition, the other one using a fingerprint. This was at the RSA security conference that was being held in San Francisco. Now, this likely doesn't surprise anyone, but it is a big step forward for the Fast Identity Online Alliance, FIDO, which is trying to solve the problems of traditional password systems. Will it come fast? Probably not. But... Both Google and Microsoft are promising product updates very soon to support the protocols. That doesn't solve the implementation challenge for its site owners, though. Access to the technology is only half of the equation. Some of our listeners might recall OpenID, for instance, which was aiming to simplify the login process for users. Implementation challenges and slow adoption pretty much buried that technology, though. Now, I'm not trying to be intentionally pessimistic about this. I really hope they succeed, actually. We're long overdue for a better authentication process for our sites. The key will be to encourage people to adopt it aggressively and support the efforts of the Fido Alliance so that it doesn't become the next OpenID. We'll be sure to keep our eyes open for more news on this front, and we'll report if there's any new developments with this new approach to logging in. Okay, so file this one under good CSS review material, quote Colisec has a short article that reviews the ins and outs of styling HTML list markup. Go ahead and laugh, but I bet you've gone back and double checked your code on a list style more than once. Styled lists are one of those nice little polish points for many websites. It gives you a chance to fold in a little extra brand color or some flair for your website. It's also worth five minutes to review material like this once in a while, or if nothing else, to pass it on to junior developers that are working with you. I mean, ask yourself, do you remember the order that the properties go in when you combine them with just a list style attribute? I mean, think about it. Is it image type position? No, 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 maybe it's position image type. Maybe I'm lying to you on both those. Maybe not. I guess you'll have to go check out the article to be sure. So last week I shared an article about editorial design, and I commented then that when thinking about white space, what you leave out is as important as what you put in. Tim Petricola has an article on the Drivy blog that looks at how they approached the issue of spacing for their UI, creating a set of rules for their white space. He reviews the issues they were facing with development and the conclusions they came to for what was right for their team and their tools. From there, they created some SAS functions to help them easily enforce their pattern and give it easy to reference breakpoints. This process makes review and maintenance easy over the long term and avoids error prone find and replace techniques when a layout needs updated. He shares their code examples as well as how they deal with exceptions to the rules that come up. The thing that I liked about this article is how it takes an otherwise abstract concept like whitespace design and turns it into a concrete execution of a resource. Stop by the Drivi Engineering blog to get all of the full explanation. UX Movement grabs our fourth spot today with their article, Why Users Make Errors with Instant Inline Validation. Form conversions are one of the holy grails of user experience design, and as such, they are the target of constant research. This article reviews the results of two studies that showed how a common approach to validation can result in more issues for the user rather than less. The argument boils down to the idea that showing a user an error immediately can lead to frustration before they are invested in the interaction, leading them to abandon it rather than correct themselves and complete their entry. Of course, this is made much worse if you are using overly restrictive validation, like requiring dashes in a phone number or telling a user their selected username isn't available without offering any suggestions. If you're collecting information with a form that requires validation, there's no such thing as a perfect implementation, really. So it's important to review this kind of data and see if there's a change that you can make to your strategy to improve the user's experience and up your conversions. As always, your mileage may vary with stuff like this, so don't forget to measure and track any changes that you make based on advice like this. A lot of people come into the field of web design somewhat organically. If they have a degree, it's likely it's in something like multimedia or graphic design, where they spend a lot of time learning about software and RGB versus CMYK color spaces. Emmanuel Cervano had a nice piece published at UX Planet this last week about what designers need to know about perception. The biological and psychological components of design and how they apply to communication is a somewhat academic approach to the topic but it's the sort of deep dive that helps us understand why users react the way that they do to various conventions. For instance, animation. We can do a lot of it now between JavaScript libraries and CSS. Tons of animations are at our fingertips, but have you ever stopped to think about how we process motion detection as a species and what that means about how we react to it on screen? Emmanuel's article isn't a dense study designed for Ph.D. students. Instead, it's meant to get you thinking about the actual processes that go on in our minds and why that produces the results that it does, with the idea that you would then go off and learn more about those subjects. This is the sort of information we need in order to grow and get better in our fields. After all, putting color on a screen is easy. Putting the right color there is the hard part. While site redesigns are relatively commonplace, it's always news when a big brand takes the plunge. Wrapping up the final slot for the week, we go to Ezekiel Bruni who's put together an overview of the Walmart.com redesign at Web Designer Depot that's worth looking at. It's a nicely detailed overview of the changes coming to the site, many of which balk at tradition. For instance, the word Walmart doesn't actually appear anywhere above the fold. All you see is their logo. And unlike Amazon or even their previous design, they've taken a very lightweight approach to product placement on the homepage, preferring to offer a couple targeted selections and a search box. It also looks like they're trying to make smarter UX decisions based on department. For instance, if you bought diapers last week, it might be a safe bet that you're back for more. But if you bought a toilet seat last week, odds are you're not putting together a doomsday stockpile of toilet seats. Walmart's put together their own press release as well, and we'll link that back in the show notes that explains more of their logic behind the redesign. That's your real-time overview for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you found something that'll be useful for you. As always, links to all of these articles that we talked about will be back at our website in the show notes at UX. Com. If you want to follow us on Twitter or Facebook, you can look us up at either place. We are slash drunken UX, easy to find. I'm your host, Michael Feen, and join us with the Drunken UX podcast coming up Monday. Aaron and I will be discussing the very first websites we built and how cute and quaint that was and how much fun. Until then, as always, keep your personas close and your users closer.